Good morning. Welcome to Life Church. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. It's great to see you today. Everybody enjoying the fall? Hey, you love it? No, I, I love the fall. I eat more in the fall. I eat more in the spring and the summer and the winter too. But I mean, I just like eating more in the fall. I love this, man. The weather's all crisp and nice and the grass is still green and the trees are busting out with color, and then November's going to come. It's going to get a little, uh, right, kind of blah. I think John Mayer has a song about November. And then, and then December comes, and it's white Christmas, right? Yeah, no? And, uh, and then I promise you, December 26th, they will play commercials about spring clothes and about, like, sandy beaches and, and, and warm weather, right? And then we'll all be like, ugh, until April comes. We'll get green grass again. And seven inches of snow in a snowstorm, and then it's gone, right? Yeah. Awesome. Well, it's great to see you today. Great to have you today. Look at your neighbor and say, man, you look good today. And then say, you don't look, but not as good as I look. All right, yeah. Hey, man, let's get some, get some fighting going on up in here. We're continuing our series in Galatians chapter 4. I'm actually going to go back to chapter 3, verse 23. Dustin did a great job last weekend, and uh, we have this great staff. Will you guys just give it up for the staff? They do have a great staff at Life Church. Amen. Great staff, great team, great teachers, great preachers. And so he did a great job. And, uh, and so this week, I'm doing chapter 4. I hope you'll be back next week. We'll continue on with chapter 5, and you'll join me with that. I'm going to kind of unpack some of that. Uh, the fruit of the Spirit and how that works and how you develop that in your life. And then we'll finish up with chapter 6. Uh, but today, I, I want to go back to the end of chapter 3 because it kind of segues into 4 and what 4 is all about. That the gospel, the good news, Jesus is really everything. And, uh, and, and it's something interesting to note that uh, in the Bible that you hold, right, so it's God's Word, but the chapter breaks... And the verse breaks were put there. God didn't put them there. Paul didn't write this to the church in Galatia with chapters and verses, right? It's just there so that you and I can have quick, easy access. Because if you take three different uh, versions of the Bible, three different translations, so like the NIV and the KJV and the, and the ESV, if you just take three random versions, the, there's going to be different page numbers because of the way it translates out. And if you had references, so, so it's very difficult. You can't just do it by page. So they kind of say, hey, chapters and, and, and verses work. I'm saying that to say that those are not infallible or inspired or inerrant, the chapter verses and the, and the, and the, and the verse breaks. Uh, and so as you're reading along, sometimes you may go, well, this really, I would, I would have stopped it here and started it there. Okay, it's no problem with that. Matter of fact, one of my professors uh, in my undergrad, uh, Dr. Bleak, gave us the book of, of Acts, and we had to put in our own chapter breaks, and we had to put in our own verse breaks, and then we had to defend it. And if you went, well, I disagree with how this is laid out, then, you know, uh, it's in the Bible, then you really had to defend that. If you got really creative, you didn't have to defend it as much. So I got really creative. 
so I don't have to do as much work. Are you catching? Are you following me at all? So again, that so so sometimes a preceding chapter may really speak into the next chapter. And in my opinion, that's what happens at the end of chapter three, verse twenty-three, all the way through uh, chapter four, verse seven, which is really what chapter four is talking about. So I want to unpack that today. So if you have your Bibles, don't you turn with me to Galatians chapter three, and let's begin reading in verse twenty-three. Before, coming, before the, the coming of this faith, speaking of faith in Jesus, we were held in custody under the law. We were locked up until the faith that, would, that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian. Now think of this like a, a child that's in foster care that's a ward of the state. Okay, uh, Until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. And this faith has come and no longer under a guardian. But now, so in Christ Jesus, we're all children of God through faith. So we've been adopted. He, go, he goes on with this language in verse 27. For all of you who are baptized into Christ, having clothed yourself with Christ, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and the heirs according to the promise. Which means every promise, because of that statement, every promise in the entire book is yours as a follower of Jesus Christ. Chapter 4, verse 1. What I'm saying is that as long as an heir is underage, there's no different from a slave, although he owns a whole estate. The heir is subject to the guardians and the trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of this world. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, Jesus, born of a woman, Mary, under the law to redeem those under the law, that would be us, all of us, that we might receive adoption to sonship. So it goes from a guardian relationship to a father relationship. Because you are his sons, God sent his spirit of his son into your hearts as the Holy Spirit, and the spirit who calls out Abba Father or Papa God. So again, it's a relational interaction here. You are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has also made you an heir. Now, I think, let me say this, what's happening, I know, I know what's happening here in this passage, because history tells us, that in Galatians, the church of Galatia, that Paul's reading the book of Galatians, so there is this, this deal of, hey, we're under the law over here as Jews, so most of, the, most of the Christ followers in the first century came out of Judaism, which was steeped with all the do's and the don'ts. The Levitical law of the Old Testament, the law that God gave Moses, the Ten Commandments, and then there's all kinds of fine print with that. I mean, literally all kinds of legalese of what you can do, can't do on this day, on that day, everything. So like tithing, the, the, the ideology of giving 10% of your income to the Lord Literally, the law said that you had to tithe on everything. So if you received spices, you had to take 10% of the spice that you received and give it to the, to the, to the, to the uh, synagogue, to the priest. If you, so think about that. So you get 10 pounds of salt. You have to take one pound of salt and bag it up and take it to the church. I mean, it was that, it was that, uh, that, 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 that detailed. All of these things. And if you broke any part of the law, you broke the whole law. So we're all under this. And then what's happening is, is because they've come out of this through faith in Jesus Christ, now we're under grace. The tendency is to go back under the law. And what they were doing is, they being the church at that time, were saying, yeah, 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 yeah. It's faith in Jesus Christ, but you still got to do all these things in the law. And Paul's like, no, no, no. Jesus Christ 
the ultimate sacrifice, when the time had fully come, he writes it right here, gave his son Jesus Christ, born of a, of a woman. I'm going to unpack that in just a minute. And then he paid the price for our sins. Therefore, we're no longer under the law of sin and death, the Old Testament, but now we, have, we are free through faith in Jesus Christ to live in grace. And so don't put these add-ons, don't put this legalism, don't put all of this, you, you know, hey man, you, you got to be a member of the church and you got to tithe and you got to go to a life group and you got to be baptized and you got to take communion in order to get to heaven. No, you get to heaven through faith in Jesus Christ. We see it with a thief on the cross. What they're doing in, the, in Galatia is they are trying to add on to. And Paul goes, there's nothing to add on to. When Jesus Christ died on the cross and said, it's finished, it's finished. All we do is, is we put our faith in him and believe in him, Romans 10, 9 and 10. We confess with our mouth and we believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord and we are saved. That's the gospel. Today, I, I want to unpack this because here's what I think sometimes happens. I've been raising church all my life. And if we're not careful, for those of us that have been, been a Christ follower for a long time, it becomes very transactional. It's like an algebraic equation. A plus B equals C. I'm a sinner. Jesus is my salvation. I accept him. I go to heaven. It's transactional. The problem with that is that's what the law was. It's transactional. Grace is not transactional. Grace is relational. That's revolutionary. Transactional says if I do this and this and this, I'll get this. A plus B equals C. It's this equation. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. God loved me so much that he gave his only son, Jesus Christ. If I believe in Jesus, I'm saved. Is that not how it works here? Yes, but it's predicated not upon a contract that you would sign, not upon a transaction, but upon a relationship. This morning, there were some official documents for the church that had to be signed. So I signed that. That's very clean and simple. What does that mean? That means this. As long as the institution that we're doing business with holds their end of the bargain and we hold our end of the bill, the contract is connected and stays completely intact. But if they, the other institution, and we, uh, uh, the church, if we don't, if one of us uh, fails to hold up our end of the deal, the, the contract is null and void. That's the problem with contractual relationship. That's the problem with contractual interaction. That's the problem with the law. As long as you're perfect and you check all the boxes and you hold up your end of the deal, then God will hold up his end of the deal. But you and I are never good enough to hold up all, to check all the boxes and hold up our end of the deal. So we go from this transactional relationship or transactional interaction with God through faith in Jesus Christ to grace, which is all predicated on relationship. Relationship is always more time-consuming than is, than is contractual uh, uh, interaction. Because contractual, I'll go back to this, the, the, the Old Testament, all the do's and the don'ts, contractual. If I do this, I do this, and do this, and I don't do this, don't do this, don't, then I get to go to heaven. That's real clean and simple. The problem is, is that I'm never going to be good enough. But it's very simple. Signing that document today, simple, done, easy. Relationship takes me, it takes time. If I have to develop a relationship, that means it's time upon me, it's time on the other person, that means there's going to be misunderstandings. There's a whole process. That's what grace is like. Grace is this journey. That's the reason why he says that the Spirit of God, that God gives us when we come into faith in Jesus Christ, that cries out of our own spirit, Abba, Father, he's leading us. That leading in the original language, when Jesus talks about this in John's gospel, that the Holy Spirit is a paraclete, one who walks alongside. He's our personal GPS, if you would. Does that help anybody? Right? Maps? Okay, anybody? Right? No? You're all directionally non-impaired. You're lying. Okay. So it helps us know, here's where I'm at, here's where I'm going, here's the shortest distance. And if there's a problem, here's another way to avoid the problem. Here's a detour that's going to help you stay on track. That's what the Holy Spirit does. So that's relational. It's not transactional. 
And so when we come in faith in Jesus Christ, what I want you to see today is this. There are benefits of living in grace that we don't think about, that Paul will unpack, as opposed that are relational, that are not transactional, like living under the law. So the first thing that we see is that there's life through Jesus. There is life through Jesus. This isn't about me trying not to go to hell. This is about me having life in Christ. I'm going to make a statement that's pretty bold, but I believe this. And in and, and my own humanity, I don't always practice this, but it's, it's the core of what I believe. If there were no heaven to gain, following the way of Jesus is the very best way to live this life. If there were no heaven, and there is heaven, don't, don't, don't say pastor said there's no heaven. There's a real heaven, a real hell, the whole deal. But if there were no heaven to gain or earth, or, or, or no heaven to gain or hell to shun, living this life that God has, trans, has, has prescribed for us is the very best way to live. I, I look and stop sometimes in my own life and just look at the blessings of God that are on my life. I'm not good enough, smart enough, together enough to pull this off but by his blessings. I look at some of you, and I see over the 16 years that I've pastored you, I see how God's blessed you and blessed your family and what he's done, how he's even seen you through difficult times because bad things happen to good people and how he's brought you through and how he's strengthened you and how, he, how you're not alone even in those times. So this is not about... This is not about just the sweet by and by, but Paul's talking about the here and now, that there is life today that I have through Jesus Christ. Look at verse 26. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. So through faith in Jesus Christ, I become a child of God. I'm not, uh, I'm not looked at as a Jew or a Gentile, Jew and insider, according to the Old Testament, a Gentile, an outsider trying to be an insider. There's not that anymore. I'm not looked at as male and female. There's no hierarchical piece here, regardless how you look at that equation. I'm not looked at as being a slave or free. Um, and, and probably a better way to translate that for the 21st century is to be an employee or to be an heir. Here's the difference. Um, if your last name is Walton and your great-grandfather is Sam Walton, you're fat, nasty, loaded. Right? You're part of the billion-dollar Walton dynasty. If you work at Walmart, you're not fat, nasty, loaded necessarily. Do you understand? Unless you were there at the beginning days and you got stock options and so forth. I mean, I know truck drivers who drove truck for Waltons back when they first started, and those guys and gals all retired as, as multimillionaires because of the stock options. But, but still, being a family member is way better than even having the stock options early on. Why? Because as an heir, I have access to the entire thing. As, as an employee, I don't. And so the reality is, is that in Christ, I have this direct connection to God, and I have this life that, that comes out of that. Look how the, the message transliteration uh, uh, unpacks verse 25, 26, and 27 of chapter 3. Look, look at this. But you have now arrived at your destination. By faith in Christ, you are in direct relationship with God. So through Jesus... Again, through Jesus Christ, through faith in Jesus, I had this direct relationship with God. It's not about me checking off all these boxes and trying and hoping and wishing that, that, I, that I might be right with God. I know that the best way, the direct way is to be in relationship with Jesus. That's, how I'm in, that's the best way I can be in relationship with God. And so it's like this. If you fly very much, you, you know the difference between a direct flight and a connecting flight. 
A connecting flight means I got to go through another city or other cities in order to get to my destination. A direct flight means it's, it's the shortest point between two distances is a straight line. I'm going from my point of origin to my point of dest destination in one flight. And if you fly at all, that's what you, 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 you do your very best to have these direct connections, these direct, because you don't want to be stuck in an airport. You don't want to be, we've had weather problems, and so we're going to put you in this cheap hotel that you hope you don't get bed bugs. And so we're going to do this for you because you're a valued customer of ours. And if you don't get that, you literally sleep in the airport because it's, it's, a, it's an act of God. Therefore, the airlines are not responsible for you. And so you can either go back home if you're at a point of origin, or you can, you can just be stuck in the airport. And, and it's the worst thing in the world if you've ever had that happen. I, I got stuck uh, because of of, uh, of, of tornadic activity in the springtime a couple years ago, uh, couldn't get out of Springfield, Missouri for two days and literally was going to, to Atlanta, through Atlanta to get here a connecting flight. And I could have driven home, I could have driven there and back multiple times and, and way faster than I could have tried to fly back home because there was all this backlog and all of this. What, 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 what Paul is saying here is, is that going through the law, all of these do's and don'ts, it's like connecting flights. You got to do this and this and this and this and this. And that's not what God intended. But coming through Jesus Christ, it's direct. It's this, it's I start here and I'm there. Boom, that's it. I, I accept, I believe, and I confess that Jesus is the Son of God, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, down the cross for my sins. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. He rose from the grave. I accept, believe, and confess that He's my Lord and Savior. Boom, I'm saved, period. I don't have to go through the connection of being a member of a church or taking communion or water baptism or going on a missions trip or giving in the offering. Are you not supposed to do those things? Yeah, those are things you should be doing as a follower in Christ. But those are not things that save your soul from hell. They're not things that give you relationship with God. Why? Because those are works. Those are things you have the ability to do. And we're not saved by our works. We're saved through faith in Jesus Christ. Therefore, all these things are works and actions. And some people go, yeah, but I was taught, I don't mean to be mean, and I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but it doesn't matter what you were taught. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. The thief on the cross doesn't have the ability to take communion. The thief on the cross doesn't have the ability to be water baptized. The thief on the cross doesn't get to go through life track, right? And understand the design, the DNA, and, and, and the doctrine of life church, and figure out his spiritual gift and get connected to where he's supposed to. The thief on the cross doesn't have the ability to do that. All he has the ability to do is confess it with his mouth and believe in his heart that Jesus is Lord. And Jesus says what? Today you'll be with me in paradise. Why? Because it's a direct flight. The Old Testament, the old way, was all of these connections. I had to do this and this and this. Through, through, great th through faith in Jesus Christ, I have life. I'm not bound by those things because he who knew no sin, Jesus, became sin for me so that I might become the righteousness of God. So that's the first thing that Paul is saying to us is there is this, this direct relationship. Secondly, there is a maturity through Jesus. There is a maturity through Jesus. I want you to look at this because I, I looked at this and, 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 and I want to hopefully I can help this make sense. Verse 26. So in Christ Jesus, you were all children of God through faith. We got that. Verse 27. For all of you were baptized into Christ, having clothed yourself with Christ. So how are you baptized into Christ? By your actions? No, by being clothed with Christ. What does that mean? It means exactly what it says, it, 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 exactly how you read it. it it's the, 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 the word picture for that clothed in Christ that we get from the original Greek is the same thing that you did today when you went to your closet and you picked out a garment and you 
clothed yourself. You have the ability to choose. You're not a rock'em, sock'em robot. God's not controlling you from some heavenly joystick. So you choose. And so you picked out the garment. Some of you did really well. Some of you not so well. We'll talk about that later. And you picked out the garment and you clothed yourself with that. And in doing that, there's maturity. Why? Because you picked out your own clothes. Do you remember when you were a kid and you had to wear granimals? Anybody? <laughs> All matched? I love matching clothes. My wife says as an adult, I'm just like, I go to these shops, they're like granimals for men. I love when all the, the greens are all the same. It drives me nuts when they're not. Socks, shirt, shoes, sweater, jacket. I mean, I'm that, okay. But when I'm a kid, my mom laid all this stuff out and it all has to match. As an adult, I get to pick up my own clothes. Here's what I want you to understand. Under the law, before Christ, I'm told what to do. I have no choice. When you are told what to do, when you are literally communicated what to do, there is no developmental aspect that happens out of that, other than auditorily you hear and you do. You hear and you do. You hear, you're, just, you're, you're simply doing. But you're not growing because you have no choice. Because the law tells you, here's what you do, here's what you do, here's what you do, here's what you don't do, here's what you don't do, here's what you watch, here's what you don't watch, here's what you listen to, here's what you don't listen to, here's who you hang out with, here's who you don't. It, it explains everything in your life. But when you come in faith in Jesus Christ and you come into grace, there's freedom. And freedom requires maturity. Because there aren't, it's not that God's not the same God. He is the same God. It's not that God's not holy. He's still holy. But instead of somebody else over here under the law telling you what to do and what to wear, now you have a choice to clothe yourself in Christ. Now you, it's incumbent upon you to grow and to develop yourself in such a way that you go, God, is this who I should be with? Lord, is this the person I should be hanging out with? God, is this the influence I should have in my life? Lord, is this appropriate to listen to? Is this appropriate for me to watch? Is this appropriate for me to be a part of? What, what, Lord, Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God that's inside of you that cries out, Papa God, Abba Father, is the one that's connecting you. He's leading you. I'm having now to get in God's Word and figure that out. Because over in the law, it told me, boom, 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 boom. But over here in grace, I don't have that same direct quotes. I'm now having to navigate Scripture. I'm now having to pray. I'm now having to process. That relational side of it, as opposed to the transactional side of, of, of it, the relational side of it is much more messy, and it requires me to really know who Jesus is, to really grow in who Jesus is, to figure out how does Jesus look in my life? How does Jesus look at school? How does he look at work? How does he look in the neighborhood? How does he look at, at my choices on Netflix? How does he look at, at how I'm living my life? How does he look when it comes to my schedule and my calendar? How does this look when it comes to choices in my life? Because over here under the law, I'm told what to do. I'm just fed the answers. But over here, I'm not. This is why people, church, religion, doesn't like grace. Because it's messy. It's, it's complicated. Uh, because one size doesn't necessarily fit, fit all. And I don't mean that as far as there is one way to heaven. That's through Jesus Christ. Jesus said, he, he said of himself that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man gets to the Father but through the Son. Yes, we get that. But how I live my life and how I'm clothed in Christ becomes about maturity. Paul tells those of us that are mature in our faith to give grace to those that are immature. What does that mean? You may be further along than someone else is. doesn't mean that what you're doing is right or wrong or they're right or wrong. It just means give grace. Paul says that if we have a brother or sister that stumbles, that falls, 
what should we do? Cut them off? No, restore them gently. Give grace. This is about relationship. You always say the right things in a relationship? No, I've been married for almost 24 years. Trust me, I say a lot of stupid things, even this long in the battle, even this long in the relationship, even this long. Why? Because it's relationship. There are times I don't read the cues right. There's times I don't get it right. There's times that she doesn't read me right. There's times that she's not understanding what I'm saying. There's times that she's irritated by something else or I'm irritated by something else and our irritations come in and now they become, come put up and, and there's, but we have to work through and we do it. Why? Because, and she's changing and I'm changing and life is changing and things are changing. And so it's relationship. So as I began to come in this life in Christ, man, maturity and growth becomes part of that. Because I'm not told what to do. My clothes are not laid out for me. Rather, I am at a place of having to be given to. So an easy way to get this is last weekend, I was, uh, I was gone uh, and uh, uh, I was speaking in, in Tulsa on Sunday. And long story short, I, 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 uh, I, get, I did something last weekend on Saturday that I don't very often get to do. It's one of my favorite things in the world to do. I'm a big college football fan, and so I haven't been able to do this last couple of years with some, with some other schedule conflicts that I've had. But my dad, when I was a kid, and we didn't have much money at all, would get tickets occasionally, at least one time a year, and would take my brother and I, usually couldn't take us both at the same time, uh, to a Razorback game. I grew up in Arkansas, so I know they're losing everything right now. So, and, uh, so anyhow, so, um, so one of the things I love to do is to take my dad to a game. And uh, there's two things I love to do with my dad. I love to drink coffee in the morning because that's when he starts talking and going and the wisdom starts flowing. And then the other thing that I love is I love going to watch the Razorbacks with my dad in Fayetteville where they, the, the, at, the, at the stadium there. And so I, I made some arrangements and got seats on the 50-yard line, halfway up, lower bowl, got a parking pass literally from a former player that I knew right across. So we... I mean, my dad was like eating it up because, you know, when we were kids, I man, we parked so far out and you had to walk two miles to get there. And he's just right there. And I was like, am I doing too much for you, old man? And he's laughing like, oh, old man, you in a minute. And, uh, you know, and at 72, I mean, he's still got a lot of life to, to but you just, you just cherish those moments. So I got to do that on Saturday. And so thank you for allowing me to be able to go and do that and be that. And again, Dustin did such a great job while I was gone and be able just to be able to have that time. And, and, um, but then on Sunday, I had, I had a friend in Oklahoma that said, hey, man, would you come preach? And so, yeah, I can't get back in time to do the weekend service. So I'll come preach, and then I was going to fly it on Monday. So on my way back from preaching three services on Sunday morning, having lunch with some friends there in town, coming back, uh, I am driving on the, on the Oklahoma Turnpike. And there, right before you get to Arkansas, you end the Turnpike, and, uh, and there is this speed trap that I know. Like, I've driven this a gazillion times. But... I'm on the phone. I haven't driven this in a couple years. I'm not paying attention. Then it goes from like 80, 85, welcome to Oklahoma, to like 55. So it's like a 30, I mean, on, on this hill, right, it's a total speed trap. And it's this blind hill, and so it's dark. And so I'm coming back, and I'm on the phone with a buddy of mine and from Georgia, and we're talking about football and all kinds of stuff. And so anyhow, all of a sudden, as soon as I top the hill, lights, state trooper. I mean, I know exactly what's going on because I always drive a conservatively nine over. I mean, that's just how I drive. And <laughs> none of you do that, do you? Yeah. Anyhow. So um, anyhow, so I'm like, I'm on, I tell my buddy, I'm like, man, I've got to get off the phone. I just got pulled over. I mean, he goes, you're in that trap. I said, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's making fun of me. And I'm like, 
shut up, you sorry sap sucker. And so anyhow, so I get off the phone with him and officer comes to the window and do you know why I pulled you over? That's always an interesting question, isn't it? How do you answer that? So I said, uh, officer, I don't live here. That's the truth. <laughs> and uh, he said, well, you, I clocked you doing 30 over. It's a pretty big deal because of the speed trap. Again, you go from, it's literally, no joke. It's just, I'm not paying attention. I'm just driving, following the car in front of me. And I said, sir, I said, here's my driver's license. I need your car registration. It's a rental car. I was preaching today in Tulsa. True. <laughs> I'm on my way to fly out of XNA in Northwest Arkansas tomorrow morning. And I'm just, I, I, I'm, I'm sorry, you know, gave him that. He comes back to the window five minutes later. I'm thinking, I'm so dead. Tammy's going to kill me. Because Tammy never gets a ticket. Never. I take care of everything. And so, and you know the times where like you're intentional, like you know what you're doing. Like I, I'm, I know I'm breaking the law right now because I've got to get someplace. I'm, I'm not trying to affirm this. And if you're 16, you need to listen to me. You, you will go to jail for this, okay? I just want you to know this. <laughs> Even though she'll lose her license for this. So anyhow, uh, but I, I literally wasn't, it was, I wasn't trying to go over. I was just trying to stay with him anyhow. So the officer comes to the window and says, where were you preaching this morning? I said, Woodlake Assembly of God in Tulsa. And he said, uh, tell you what, why don't you pray for me and my family and my kids and my grandkids that God will just bless me and protect me and do all that, and you have a good night, Reverend. Thank God for the Bible Belt. Amen? Anybody? <laughs> like, God bless Oklahoma. Officer Hernandez has been called in prayer. I know his name. I kept the ticket. Uh, I, so much. I never had that happen. One time in Wisconsin, I got pulled over, and the guy said, you're not from here. And I said, no, sir. He said, you sound like you're from the South. I said, yes, sir. He said, are you related to Brett Favre? I said, in the South, we're all related. He said, have a good day, son. Go right on. Thank God for Mississippi. Amen. Here's my point. In the law, I know what the speed limit is, right? And I was breaking it. And I got pulled over. Under grace, I've got to now put that on me. Grace means unmerited, undeserved favor. Under the law, that officer could have impounded my car. Could you imagine that phone call to Tammy? And I'd have had to call some buddies in Arkansas, Oklahoma, and say, hey, I need an attorney to get out of jail. Can I need somebody to post? But, uh, that's what would have happened. But under grace... You need to slow it down. You need to figure this out. See, the maturity to be able to self-regulate is way bigger in grace than it is under the law. Because the law tells me what to do. Grace says, hey, it's up to you. How are you going to live this out? Now, there's la these last two points kind of go together as we walk this out. And, and, and the first is that, is that there is adoption through Jesus. I want to kind of combine these. There's, there's adoption through Jesus that we're no longer considered um, employees or slaves or however you want to use that term. We're not looked at as insiders or outsiders, Jews or Gentiles, but rather we're looked completely at as being sons and daughters of God. Look at verse 4 of chapter 4. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. But when the set time had fully come, that word but introduces a contrast. Things are about to change. There's a turnaround from the law. The law to grace. 
The control of elemental principles was only for a limited time. The law was only given for a limited time. The Old Testament law, knowing full well that Jesus Christ was going to come and he was going to, to, to fulfill that. There's an exact perfect time that God sent his son, Jesus. Do you know that in order for Jesus to fulfill the messianic prophecies of the Old Testament, the same statistical probability is if you were to take the state of Texas, fill it knee-deep with silver dollars, and mark one of the silver dollars with a red dot, and I were to blindfold you and fly you with a helicopter, and you were to tell me where to stop over the land mass the size of the state of Texas, and I were to lower it, lower you there, and blindfolded, you were able to pick that one silver dollar out of a mass the size of the state of Texas, knee-deep of silver dollars. You'd be able to do that for your first time. Is the same statistical probability than it would be that one individual could fulfill all the messianic prophecies of the Old Testament. When, so when people say that the Bible doesn't, it, it refutes itself or it doesn't confirm itself, contrary, mon frere, it's over and over and over again. Does it confirm itself? Does it confirm itself? Does it confirm itself? It has to. This is what perplexed them. This is the reason why they, they wrestled with this at, at such point in time. There was this exact time that the prophets, what were spoken about, would be, would be unfolded. They'd be born of a woman. Mary's a blessed woman, I get that. But understand, Mary is not divine. Because if she's divine, Jesus can't be the sacrifice. Divinity comes through the Father. The humanity comes through Mary. What does that mean? That means that she needed to be as regular and as average in who she was in order to be, for Jesus to be fully human and to be fully God and to be the perfect sacrifice for our sins. Without that, it's just God coming to earth. But through that, it's God made flesh, clothing himself, reducing himself, the Bible says, and humbling himself into the form of a man. Does that mean that Mary's not blessed? No, she's a blessed person, but she's just a person. She, she's not deity. If she's deity, it cancels out the ability, the humanity of Jesus. Born under the law, all of us. Jesus Christ becomes that perfect sacrifice that can redeem us. The point that Paul's making is, is, that, is that we're all a part of the family of God as Christ followers. Look, look at verse 28 of chapter 3 again. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, male or female, but we are all one in Christ. So we're adopted. We're no longer Insiders or outsiders, Jews or Gentiles, male or, 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 male or female. Uh, uh, we're, we're, we're no longer bound and slaves or free, but we are all one in Christ. So we're adopted into the family of God. We are a part of the family of God. We, we, are, we, we are sons of the house and daughters of the house. We don't work for Walmart. We're heirs to the Walmart fortune, to the Walton fortune. I want to give the fourth point, then I'm going to wrap all this up. There's inheritance because of the adoption through Jesus Christ. We don't think about this sometimes, but there is inheritance through Jesus Christ. Look at verse 7 of chapter 4. So you are no longer a slave, but you're God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. What a beautiful progression. We're slaves to our sin, and we're born under the law. God gives us Jesus Christ because he loves us so much. And we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. That's faith. And then we get to walk into grace and have life and have maturity and growth and development this side of eternity. And we're adopted. 
which means we're no longer outsiders. We're no longer being guardians taken care of by the law, but now we're in relationship. It's not a transaction. If you've ever watched foster care, there's a transactional relationship that goes on there. But when a kid in foster care, a child becomes adopted, as soon as that paperwork is signed, as soon as the deal is done, it's irreversible. You are now adopted into this family. That's how we are. We, lo we, we no longer bear our own last name by birth under death and the law, but now we, we bear his name. And so we're adopted. We don't work at Walmart. We are Waltons. We, we now are part of the fortune. We're now part of all of that. And not only are we that, but because we're heirs, we have inheritance. So God the Father, Jesus the Son. So where does that put us in that whole hierarchical deal? He's the older brother. Man, what an older brother. You understand that according to Levitical law, that if the father were to die, the birthright goes to the oldest firstborn male, the older brother. That's what Jesus is. And the responsibility according to the law is that the older brother is to take care of the mother and all the other brothers and sisters and to step into the role of the father. He who knew no sin became sin for us and died on the cross so that you and I might become the righteousness of God. So that makes Jesus, in this spiritual diagram, we're co-heirs with him. It's not my words, it's Paul's words. Which means if God so loved his one and only son that he gave him to, for us, how much more does he love you and I? And everything the Father has is at our disposal. So why do we worry? Why do we fear? Why do we wring our hands? We're no longer under the law. We're not orphan kids in foster care anymore that are being guardianed and taken care of by the state, by the law, being told what to do. But rather through Jesus Christ, we walk into faith. Through faith, we walk into grace, into this amazing relationship that's not transactional at all. It's relational. Therefore, we have life. Because you know who you are and whose you are and whose name you bear. We, we have this maturity and this growth that we can grow and be free to be who God created us to be because we're secure in who we are because we know who our Father is. And the spirit that raised Christ from the dead, Paul says, now dwells within us. Chapter 4 talks about that. And he cries out, Abba, Father, Papa, God. It's the Holy Spirit's what connects us to him. So that you and I are sons and daughters of the house. Let me help you, because those of you that, if you were like me, you were, you were born biologically into a family, this is a hard concept for you to get. Because, again, all my brothers, sisters, uh, cousins, aunts, uncles, everybody in our family, they're all biological. There's no one that's adopted into the family. The same thing is true in Tammy, Tammy's family. Everybody is, no, there's no one adopted. What's interesting is that if you've been adopted, you understand this. Or if you have adopted a child, you get this. See, Tammy's mom will tell that when Tammy was in middle school, she told her mom, she said, I don't want to grow up, when I want to get married, but I don't want to have 
biological children of my own. I want to adopt kids. And her mother thought that was crazy. Only to realize that Tammy and I would meet and would marry and would realize that we weren't able to have kids biologically. And I'm okay with that. She was okay with that. Matter of fact, I learned a long time ago, I don't worry about things I have not the ability to control. I'm not going to spend any energy, any time, any effort on things I don't have the ability to control. So, okay, fine. Thank God you have a plan. We were on staff. We saw a couple on staff. They adopted a sibling group, and we just said, this is what we think we need to do. This is what we think God's wanting us to do. To, uh, uh, adopt, uh, it, it doesn't matter how many there are. It doesn't matter if there's two, if there's six, whatever. Uh, uh, brothers, sisters, uh, two brothers, uh, three sisters. It doesn't matter, but, but that we just felt like that's what we were supposed to do. I remember being here. We came here, and we were been married about nine years, and, 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 and uh, it was our second Christmas that was here. And I, I told my mom and dad, I said, this will be the last Christmas without kids. God's going to begin to do something this next year. Little did I know that he was at work. And so long story short, in August of that year, we've been married nine years. And I'll never forget the first day that I laid my eyes on Ava and Anna. Biological sisters, same mom, same dad. An aunt and uncle that had been basically overseeing them and taking care of them just said, we can't adopt them. And we're looking for an adoptive resource. Would you adopt them? I'll never forget the day that those two little girls came into my home, into their home, and we became a forever family. I don't look at them as not mine. They're mine. You want to test how much they're mine? You come between me and them. You really want to test that? Just see Sammy at a soccer game for Ava. You'll, you'll see it all. I'm very, very passive compared to her. You see, the deal is, is that they went from being guardians of the state over here into a system that didn't have any life through by the grace and the, and the very providence of God came into my home and into my life As great as God will bring the ministry of Life Church, the greatest single blessing I will ever receive from Wisconsin will be those two girls. How I know that God's hand was on my life coming here is not about what he does at this church or what he does in the ministry in my life, but it's those two good girls. Because children are a blessing from the Lord. And they, that day, that, that scripture becomes so true, they take on my name. They take on everything that I have, all the power that I have, all the influence I have, all the connections that I have. If something, heaven forbid, were to happen to me and Tammy, every bit of stock options and, and, and 401K and, 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 and life insurance money and every, every real estate holding, everything goes to those two little girls. Everything. They're not so little anymore at 16 and 20, but they are to me. Why? Because they're mine. And if they would need anything, I, I'm here. I, I, I'm, I'm here. There's not a day that goes by that I don't pray for them. There's not a day that goes by that I don't reach out in some form or fashion. There's not a day that goes by that they don't come across my mind. There's not a moment. Why? Because they're mine. And that's how God views us. 
That's how he views you. It's not that God's some cosmic killjoy. He's a father that's in heaven, that you've been redeemed and that you no longer live under the curse of sin and death, having to try to figure this out. You've been adopted as sons and daughters. You are heirs to the throne. Everything that's at Jesus' disposal is at your disposal. That's why Jesus said, greater things shall you do because your older brother goes to the father who's in heaven. Wow. Have you thought about that? Why do we worry? Why do we give any inch to any of that? Walk in faith. You're a son and a daughter of the house of the Most High. You bear his name and all the resources of heaven are behind you. That's why when Paul's writing this, he goes, what shall we fear? What can separate you from the love of God? Should famine? No. Turbulence? No. Pestilence? No. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Because the love of God is so high and it's so wide and it's so deep that nothing can separate you. That wherever you go, God is there because that's the heart of the Father. That the, David says he upholds you in the righteous right hands. And the waters of this earth he holds in the hollow of his one hand. How great is our God. This is the reason why I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. It's not about heaven. It's about here and now. It's about the life that I get to live today and the joy that I get to experience today and the blessings that I get to experience today and the peace that I get today and, 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 and all that God has. That's the reason why I want to spend my life telling everybody I can about Jesus. It's the good news. You don't have to live under this system of never being good enough and never measuring up and hoping one day somebody will adopt you, hoping one day somebody will pick you, hoping one day you get out of the system. No, you're out of the system because he's come along. Jesus, your older brother, has paid the price, and you're free. Amen. Amen. So it's not about do's and don'ts. I want to serve God because I'm following the example of my older brother. I want to serve God because he has done so much for me. I cannot tell it all. How he saved me, he raised me, he built me up. I got to quit preaching. But I hope that gets in your craw today. That's a real deep spiritual term right there. Gets in your spirit. That you really understand the identity of who you are in Christ. It's not transactional, it's relational. It's through grace and not through the law. That you are no longer a worker. You're not working for God. You're a son and a daughter of the house. Go back to the prodigal story. John talks about the lost coin, the lost sheep, and he ends it with a lost son. The father in that story is God the Father. And you and I are the prodigal. And at some point in time, we come to the end of ourself. And when we're yet a long way off, God sees us. And what does he do? He runs to us. Because we're his son and we're his daughter. Because he loves 
us. No, no loving God sends anyone to hell. We choose to walk that way. Because the Father is pleading, and the Father is running, and the Father is doing everything within his power to bring us close to him. Because he so loved us. That's what Paul's saying. Don't get caught up in the boxes to check. You're never going to be good enough, fast enough, smart enough. You've been saved through faith in Jesus Christ. Walk in that grace. Live in that grace. Build your life in that grace. And when you fail, when you come short, he is faithful to forgive you of all of your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you today for your word. I thank you today for the simplicity. I thank you today that you adopt us. That you call us your own. And that all the riches and all the power of heaven is at our disposal. Jesus, you said that you the Bible says that you could have called 10,000 angels to take you off the cross. The power of heaven is ours. It's the reason why you said greater things shall we do, because you go to the Father. And I just thank you for that. And I just pray today if there be anybody that is still trying to make their way under the law. God, I pray, redeem them today from the law through faith in you. Let them just simply just accept you as their Lord and Savior and believe in you and confess their sins. And your word says if we confess with our mouth and we believe in our heart that we're saved, that's that simple. And we walk in grace. And help us that are in grace to walk in grace with one another unto you. Walking in this grace doesn't mean I get to go do what I want to do. It means I get, I'm free to pursue a life of pleasing you. To hear those words from you, Lord, my Father, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter in. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.